artist. Flute, flute artist. <laughs> Let's start again. <laughs> <laughs> Today. <laughs> today. <laughs> you know what today is? Today is Act One, Scene 13, <laughs> Other Desert Cities. <laughs> what do you think of that transition? That was really good, Katie. Thank you. <laughs> I was trying to think of what day it was, and I was like, Tuesday. Like, and then I was like, it's not Tuesday. <laughs> we're like, stupid Katie, it's Tuesday. It's tu- It's literally Friday when it's we're recording it's, it's literally Friday. Well, happy Friday. Thank you for spending your Friday morning with me, Jessica. Jessica. Um, oh. Julia. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. We're doing really well. Good to um, see you, Kathleen. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> just start making up names for each other at the start of each of course ashley let's go (laughs) what are you waiting for Brittany? it's time to record Uh, (laughs) um hi how are you today i'm good i'm good i just woke up which is why i sound like this (laughs) um because katie was like let's do this bright and early in the morning so um which is fun it means that you know i'm sad though i didn't make like a cup of tea or something that i could (gasps) How dare you? Dramatically during this. I went out and got myself a nice iced coffee. Oh, I might do that. I might go take the dog for a walk and get some coffee. We'll see. That's a good idea. Um, Well, here we are. We are on Act One, Scene 13, Other Desert Cities um, by John Robin Bates. And uh, we are here to talk about this with you all today. So we'll get started with trivia. I think you went first last week. I don't know. I don't remember. I thought you went first, but it maybe might I did. Be... Whatever, you go first. <laughs> okay, here we um, go. Which of the following books have I never read? A. Pride and Prejudice. B. The Great Gatsby. C. The Great Divorce. D. The Grapes of Wrath. Oh my God, that is very difficult because <laughs> that oddball one you threw in at C. You definitely have read that because it's yes. too random. I, so it's an inspiration behind something I'm currently writing. Oh, very fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, so those other three are like high school classic curriculum books. Yes, they are. So I'm curious as to which one you didn't read. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if you if it was part of your curriculum or you didn't read it. I know I did not read a lot of books I was supposed <laughs> to read in high school. Um, it was The Great Gatsby. Pride Do you want me to read them again? And the Grapes of Wrath. And those the Grapes were, of Wrath, yes. Those were the three. Oh, my goodness. I am... There's no way you haven't read Pride and Prejudice. There's no way. Um, so I'm going to say The Grapes of Wrath. You are incorrect. No! What is it? It's Pride and Prejudice. What? <laughs> How on earth have you not read Pride I and know. Prejudice? I know. Knowing who you are as a person, that makes no sense to me. I know. I've seen like every adaptation of it and I've not (gasps) actually, I've read the first chapter. Julia Marie Black. It's been sitting on my bookshelf and I feel so guilty because like, how can I say I'm a Pride and Prejudice fan if I haven't? I know. Yeah, I know. Oh my God. You have shaken me me to my core. It's my one great shame, but I knew you wouldn't guess it. (laughs) No, I had no idea because- you and my lovely roommate, best friend, Miss Caroline. Yeah, when she listens to this, she's going to be pissed. <laughs> <laughs> you, guys, you guys love your video essays and you love yeah, Pride and Prejudice and you talk about it all the time. That makes that. Blew I mean, the reason I watched mind. the movie was because of her. She was like, 
you haven't seen Pride and Prejudice? And I was like, no, I haven't. And she was like, well, we're going to sit down and watch it. <laughs> we're going to sit down right here and you're going to watch the rest it. of them because we need to watch Sense and Sensibility. Because I even have, you know, I even have those coasters that Melody yeah. gave me that are all of the Jane Austen novels. Yeah. Like, yeah. Wow. Wow. That I one know. really it's got me. It's sitting on my shelf. I'm going to read it. I swear. I just don't have time. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, well, well. That's the first thing you need to. That should be top of your to-do. I need to finish Jenna Fisher's book, and then I will. All right. I, I just started forward. Jenna Fisher's book. It's so, so good. That's yeah, great. It's, it's really, really good. good. It's really good. Um. <laughs> all right. Well, here we go. <clears throat> Mine's not going to be as climactic as that one was. Okay. <laughs> um. So my trivia question is, which place have I not visited, like traveled to? I visited? almost did this question. I'm so glad you did. <laughs> yeah. Um. So my choices are, number one, Mexico. Ooh. Number two, California. Number three, Puerto Rico, and number four, Tennessee. Wait, I was trying to. You were at Updas. No, you weren't. Were you? Oh, I don't know. Goodness. Was I? Oh, Katie, now I feel like a bad friend. <laughs> <laughs> no, you were. You were because we talked about Pippin, and you have it on film. You were in. And you we, were in we also. We also shared. We also shared a room. <laughs> <laughs> we also literally shared the same hotel room in Tennessee. The moral of this week's episode is that Julie is an idiot. <laughs> who hasn't who hasn't read? We Brian literally had this. so many heart to hearts that weekend. How could I possibly? That's you know so why funny. you were on the opposite? Um, you were on the opposite auditioning Aud- day. Audition, yeah, exactly. That's why we have that picture. Oh my god, I'm the worst. Okay, <laughs> no, you're not. Okay, so you've been to Tennessee. Here's the thing: it's hard because you you are a cruiser. Your family likes to go on cruises. Hmm. And I know this because when I went on a cruise, I was like texting you and like, what do I do? You know? Right. So I feel like a lot of these aren't out of the question. I feel like you haven't been to California. Is that your final answer? Mm-mm. Yes. <laughs> you're you're correct. I've Yay! not been to California. Yeah. Okay, cool. I have been to Mexico and Puerto Rico. I've been to Mexico like four times, Puerto Rico once. I think. Hell yeah. I wow. haven't been to California either. Oh my so. gosh, we should take a road trip. We should. Let's go. Just my, like our fun road trip to Tennessee. <laughs> my cousins live there, so we could we <laughs> Oh, could that would be fun. Yeah. Oh, what's up, Julia's cousins? Let's yeah. do it. Have you been looking for your newest house decoration or a gift for a special person or event? Jessica Ember is an independent fluid artist specializing in fluid paintings. Like many, in times of stress, Jessica turns to her art. She has all different paintings for sale in a variety of sizes and color schemes, perfect for any room style. Trust me, friends, I own one of her paintings, and I promise you it is my favorite decoration in the entire house. Each one of her paintings is individual, just like each of our listeners. You can see her art being made on TikTok at Jessica underscore Ember, and then view the product on her Instagram at the same handle. Again, that's at Jessica underscore Ember on both Instagram and TikTok. You can send her a direct message on Instagram for all pricing and purchasing needs. So what are you waiting for? Go follow at Jessica underscore Ember on Instagram for your new favorite painting today. Well, um, today we are talking about uh, the play Other Desert Cities, which involves both writing and travel. Yeah, it sort does. Of. 
Um, <laughs> so, Julia, why don't you go ahead and, and tell our lovely listeners what this play is about? Yes. Let me pull up the description because I was not ready with it. Okay. Um, okay. So this is from Dramatist Play Service. Woo. We love them. Um, so Brooke Wyeth returns home to Palm Springs after his six-year absence to celebrate Christmas with her parents, her brother, and her aunt. Brooke announces that she is about to publish a memoir dredging up a pivotal and tragic event in the family's history, a wound they don't want reopened. In effect, she draws a line in the sand and dares them all to cross it. Ooh. I don't know who wrote that summary, but bravo, because that's a really good summary. Yeah, that was really pretty good. That's a good elevator pitch. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. I love yeah. it. Um, and the the lovely person who wrote this was um, someone by the name of John Robin Bates. John Robin um, Bates. I haven't personally read any other ones of his his work, um, but I'm familiar with his name. Yeah. Um, and this I, one's I was pretty familiar big. with. Yeah, I was familiar with other desert cities, even though I had never read it before. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's a little bit about about him. And so here we go. Uh, John Robin Bates is the author of a numerous amount of plays, including The Substance of Fire, A Fair Country, Ten Unknowns, Me Zelansky slash Zelansky, Three Hotels, and The Paris Letter. He is a um, Putzler Prize finalist, Drama Desk winner, um, Humanitas, I don't know if how, to, how to pronounce that, uh, winner, and a Guggenheim and NEA fellow. Mr. Wow. Bates created the ABC drama Brothers and Sisters and has written for West Wing. He's also adapted his play, The Substance of Fire, for the screen, as well as a screenplay for an Al Pacino movie, People I Know. He is currently writing and producing a miniseries for HBO entitled Cheney's War about the selling of the Iraq invasion by the Bush administration. He is a founding member of the Naked Angels Theater Company and on faculty in the New School's Graduate Drama Division. That is so funny. I was just looking at the New School the other day. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. So look at look at him. He's done quite a I bit of stuff. I didn't know that he wrote for the West Wing. That's dope. There are, we, I feel like we have read a couple of plays that have people who have written for the West Wing. Yeah. I feel like um, Aaron Sorkin generally tends to outsource to theater first. Yeah. Like, that's just what I've gathered about. Because a lot of his... First of all, like if you watch the newsroom, there are so many. I'm talking about the. I'm going to talk about the newsroom <laughs> a lot during this episode. I'm warning you in advance. That's so, all right. In the newsroom, he makes a lot of musical theater references, and I'm like, Aaron Sorkin's like a musical guy. Like yeah. he likes musicals and plays, and I feel like a lot of his actors that he brings on are fluent in both stage and screen. Yeah, um, and I mean, he just wrote, you know, or adapted. Um, to kill a mockingbird for the stage. Right. So clearly, right which like, is, is very exciting. Yes. I really want to see it when it reopens. I, I know. It me so too. We can we'll go see it together. Yes. Let's go see it together. Oh, I'd cry. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I love Jeff Daniels. He's so, he's so brilliant. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's so, Ooh, don't even get so me started. Good. So, so good. how did you, how did you first encounter this play? Um, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I don't know. I feel like I've heard the name of this play so many times, Mm -hmm. um, that I don't remember who, or I don't, I can't remember if anybody from our class ever performed anything from it. (laughs) You did? I did. Jack did. And I think Brie did. What, what stuff did you do? I I was, I mean, some of it sounds familiar when I was reading it, but the name of the play just was, I was like, I've heard this 
before. Yeah, I did the scene where she's like, um, I can't go back into my cave. Like that whole speech to her parents. When? When? It's an act two. It's like scene. No, no. When did you do it? Oh, when did I do it? I think I did it for junior year juries. Oh, okay. I think. Okay. Yeah. I think gotcha. it was junior year and not sophomore year. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, because I, I, some of it sounded familiar, but I wasn't sure where, and I, I assumed the only way I could have remembered would have been in from like a class. Mm-hmm. I think Jack um, did a monologue from a junior year as well. Oh, which is good. Fun. It's a good show for him. Yeah. <laughs> and how about you? So other than that, I mean, I've never read it um, um, until today. So I saw a production of it. I was trying to remember the exact year. I think it was over Christmas break my junior year. It was either Christmas break my junior year or Christmas break my sophomore year. Wow. Did somebody do it because the play takes place on Christmas Eve? Yes. Was yeah. it supposed so to, they were just doing it for the My dad's high timing. school drama teacher was directing it, which oh, very your fun. your roommate knows my dad's drama teacher because they've done shows together in the past. Okay. Um, but he's a that super cool dude. And what was really cool about this particular production, I saw it in East Aurora and um so he directed it and his wife did the set design and Ooh. she painted this beautiful desert mural. Like she made it like this <gasps> Palm Springs oh place was like all windows, you know? Yeah. So the whole background was just this gorgeous desert scene that she painted herself. It was really beautiful. Oh my um, gosh. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. And it was a small theater too. Like she really made the most of mm. that space. Yeah. Um, and it like had elements of the original like off-Broadway production, but it was okay. very much, I think the the desert mural is what set it apart. Oh yeah. I mean, that's a brilliant and a, a nice little addition to it. Yeah. I, it was, it was a really good production. I, I don't remember who was in the cast, but I remember thoroughly enjoying it. That's great. Go, go to East Aurora. It's really I've only nice. been to East Aurora maybe twice. Um, mm-hmm. which is surprising based on how close it was to where we went to school, but, yeah. um, it was, it's beautiful. It's a really beautiful little town. It's really, it's adorable. My dad grew up in a neighboring town that was only like 20 minutes away. Mm. So, and then my grandma lived there throughout the majority of my youth. So I spent a lot of time there growing yeah, up and wow. it's just a really sweet, sweet little town. And we ended up, I don't know why this always happens to me, but we ended up basically crashing the, the cast party. Too. Really? I always end up at cast parties where I don't belong. I don't know why. <laughs> but it happened like it it happens all the time and I always feel a little bit awkward, but by the end of the night I'm like, yeah, these people are the are you know, my brothers. Like yeah. we're, <laughs> brother in arms. This is family right here, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a really really good show and then I think it was after that I was like, I want to do a monologue from this even though like I'm not the age of the character. <laughs> How all. old is she supposed to be? So I think ideally she's supposed to be late 30s. Oh, okay. And then would Trip be somewhere in like the 18 to 23 like ish range? Yeah. I looked up I looked up when um when Thomas so this is how it relates to newsroom. So the original <laughs> um trip was played by Thomas Sadowski, who is he played Don Kiefer in the newsroom and he's one of my favorite actors. I could gush about him all day long. He is like a powerhouse in the, he's one of the actors from that show who I've had the privilege of seeing live. Mm -hmm. And I saw him live in a very like intimate setting with a really like crazy play. And it was like a one, one person show, which I can't talk about because if you, 
so the show is called White Rabbit, Red Rabbit. I talk about it all the time. Ah, uh, yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the whole conceit of this show is you can't tell anyone what it's about because it would ruin the show. And he was so good. And, like, just the most, like, down to earth. Because this dude has, like, a lengthy stage career. Like, I was looking at his credits before this and I was like, wow, he's done, like, every big play in the book. Oh, that's and, incredible. And he has, like, a really solid film career as well. And he's married to Amanda Seyfried, which is, like, the queen, you know? <laughs> um <laughs> And so, like, if you're part of the MMCU, like, you're a winner. That's the Mamma yeah. Mia Cinematic Universe. Yeah, <laughs> well, unfamiliar. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't. I could have gone my whole life without knowing that. But, you know, <laughs> I, I coined that's, that that's, a t- that's a topic for another day. <laughs> we'll do we'll do a Mamma Mia episode. Where yeah, we, just we better not. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Thomas Sadowski, really, really brilliant. And he originated the role of Chip. Trip. Jeez. I can't make words. Or Chip. <laughs> or Chip funny. from Beauty and the Beast. No, he, he played funny. Chip in this. And he's straight up so brilliant. If you've never heard of him, go look it up. He also is like a really, he's such an activist. Um, mm, I for love that. Just all, you know, not just things that are happening in America, but all over the world. Right. Um, so definitely check him out. This is this has turned into a Thomas Sadowski plug, but yeah. <laughs> really, trust well, me, he's so good. <laughs> well, that's a it's a great thing that um you had such a good first experience with this play. Yes. Yeah. You I know. it's definitely one of those that we well, talked about this last time with Glass Menagerie. It's better when you watch it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that because it's not it's not a hard it's not a hard read. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's certainly not an easy read. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the, the it's a little dense. That, yeah, it's a little dense for sure. Um, this play is only about 56 pages long. Um, but it's very it, it's just it's heavy. It's a very heavy play. Yeah. Um, that by the time you get to like even page, you know, like 20, between mm-hmm. like 20 and 30, you're like, whoo. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, and also so I for can our see, audience, it was, yeah. trigger warnings, there are a lot of slurs in this. And yeah. I think like they were put there to show that this family is a little out of touch. Yeah, there's a lot um, of there's a lot of things in the play that when you read, you're like, wow, that should not be put down in writing. Um, but the whole point of it is that it's put down in writing yeah. because it's supposed to be um, the daughter Brooks sort of liberal ideas and ideology um, walking back into like her conservative household. Yeah. Um, they're not cons- like just conservative. Her dad works for the GOP. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So like there there's definitely uh honestly I think this resonates more to like I know this is set in the early 2000s but mm-hmm. some aspects of it really resonate in today's society. Yeah. Yeah, some of them definitely do because they talk a lot about um a, a lot about how either side and both sides of the political spectrum um nobody is willing to give the other side the benefit of the doubt and Mm -hmm. they talk a lot about you know like the the mother her name is polly in this and polly you know talks about how like liberals only only see the worst in the conservatives and and then you know they will point out that the opposite is true um and that each each side of the political spectrum is trying to like overpower the other instead of working together, which I feel like is a pretty, 
pretty mm-hmm. common for what's going on in 2021. Yeah. Uh, you know, post post Donald Trump era. So, yeah, it's definitely like it's interesting, but this play reminds me so much of One Slate Hitch and the the mm. tones are completely different for these two plays. But yeah. I think like this idea of the young and the old and the child who returns to the family and is liberal mm-hmm. and the family's conservative and like how that power balance plays right. out is but interesting. You know, you know, the other thing that I was thinking about when I was reading this that I really want to see, and I'm sure that there are plays out there. I'm just not familiar with them, Mm -hmm. Um, but I would love to see the opposite. You know, like I would love to see a liberal household in which a conservative, you know, person comes back um, because we only ever see this side of it. Yeah. You know, like I'm curious about all of the ways because no, you know, politics at the end of the day are politics and you know, some of it bleeds into human rights in which I, I personally don't believe that there's any opinion there. Like yeah. human rights should just be human rights. Um, but there are certainly some things in there that are political opinions. And um, we only ever hear, you know, like as as somebody who I, you know, who is a part of the, you know, liberal, you know, I don't know. That's my, you know, political stance. Mm-hmm. I don't you know, I don't see um, all of the the bad ways that liberals can sometimes have their opinions come across um, because I'm constantly surrounded by other liberals yeah. that, you know, I'd be interested to see how we're viewed from another, you know, perspective. Yeah, I've um, seen it. In because some, I don't I'll send see, a video I've, I've never way. seen it, but okay. I'll send a video your way because it, it definitely exists. Like it yeah. definitely exists and... I think there are some, and this is a generalization, but there are some people who align more with liberal beliefs who spend their time, like, taking down, in quotation marks, people um, who are on their side instead Mm -hmm. of, like, the people who are you know, actively doing damage, the people who are actively hurting people. And it's like, what I think we've lost, at least in this last year, and obviously, like, I'm I'm coming at this from a perspective of privilege, um, but, like, we've lost the ability to let people change and grow. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I was not the person that I was in high school. You know, I didn't... I didn't know all this. I wasn't educated. I There are still things that I'm not educated on and I'm working to learn. And it's good to to note that and, you know, to say to yourself, like, I don't have enough information yet. Yeah. So and like, I didn't when I was in high school. I went to a very, very white high school. I, you know, made judgments based on ignorance. Mm-hmm. And I I would hate to think that people see me now and are like, just remembering high school, Julia, but I know that's a possibility. Right. Well, I think also, you know, we, um, we kind of can sometimes get at each other's throats for not making progress fast enough, Mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to just recognizing the fact that progress is being made. Um, and it would be lovely for progress to happen faster. And in some ways we, as a human race are the only things holding it back from going faster but even as like to your point earlier, 
you know, um, I think sometimes people within your own, you know, party can kind of, I don't know, just kind of kick you while you're down sometimes if you're not, you know, developing opinions fast enough about things. And that isn't, shouldn't be right. Yeah. And I think like there is so much value in saying I don't have enough knowledge on this subject to have an opinion on it. Absolutely. And that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, how, how would you like, how would you be expected to have a whole conversation about like this play if you hadn't read it? Right. You know what I mean? I mean, you need information to, to hold an opinion about something. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you don't have that information, it's that, that's the, the right way to go around it. You know, it's why I have such a complicated relationship with Twitter. Honestly, Mm -hmm. like I I think I've quit Twitter, quote unquote, quit Twitter like 15 times in the last year alone and still found myself like back on there. Yeah. (laughs) Just because it can be a really toxic place and it's a lot of people. And I think TikTok is even worse about this, but just people saying stuff because they think it's true Mm -hmm. and not taking time to um like for example there was that whole thing that was going around um about legally blonde um and it was like in the in the original version of legally blonde l and vivian end up together mm-hmm. and someone responded that's not true and they were like where are your sources and she was like i wrote it <laughs> oh i did i saw that right i saw that and the the reason she wanted to let people know that that wasn't the original ending. She was like, I don't want people from the LGBTQ community to think that I deprived them of something that wasn't even in existence. Right. Right. Because that's worse in a way to be like, you could have had this, but no. Right. Or to be like, I was thinking about it, but then I decided to go a different way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, kind of to your point, there are other things in this play that definitely are still you know, you can tell that it's something that was talked about in the thousands, but are definitely still relevant. You know, oh, there, was yeah. a, there was a line that Polly had at the very beginning. So Polly is, is Brooke's mother, the, you know, she's, and she is, I've got a lot of opinions about Polly. Polly but, is a um, something. <laughs> Polly is something. And she is, she really is like the definition of like, um, tough love, like mm-hmm. really, really, really just wants the best for Brooke and does it like solely by tearing her down, um, which is incredibly toxic and terrible. But, you know, at the very beginning of the play, she had a line where she said, quote, when did everyone get so damn sensitive about every last thing? End quote. And, you know, sensitivity and the idea of like people being sensitive or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, that was definitely something that I remember like middle school, high school being like a very, big topic of conversation was like sensitivity. And I think that that's kind of, you know, gone away in a like a bit, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not quite the most. There's still that like people are talking about participation trophy energy that yes, are I think our parents kind of like our parents generation has. Right. Right. And there are some there are some topics and things that are in, you know, political heat that some people will view as sensitive, mm-hmm. you know, or will view people's opinions as like them being sensitive to something. Yeah. Um, I feel like that still comes up, but, you know, I was wondering what you, what you think about the idea of, you know, sensitivity in our culture. 
So it's interesting. I just watched a very interesting video essay about this. Um, and it was about how like trigger warnings are getting a little out of hand. Sure. Um, which in, in some level, like there were some aspects of it where I fully agreed and there were others where I was like, no, but you need a, you need a trigger warning for something <laughs> yeah. like that. You know, 13 reasons why. Should have had a bigger trigger should warning. Should have had a bigger trigger warning or just maybe shouldn't have put that in a TV Or maybe show. just never, ever, ever should have put that out on media at all. Yeah. Um, but if they did, you know, maybe mm-hmm. maybe something a little bit more. Because here's the thing. Like, my my opinion of things, that if there is, you know, sexual violence of any kind, there should be a trigger warning on it. Period. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to be aware, okay, where are we going to draw the line? Because trigger warnings were created to help people who had suffered through trauma right so like for example trigger warning there are gunshot noises in this because that Mm -hmm. could literally cause someone to have an attack right um and i feel like that those words that phraseology has been co-opted to be something it's not Mm. and it makes the generation that's older than us you know be like well, these kids are too sensitive. Right. Generally. Generally. Yeah. There are some amazing people who are boomers who are awesome. And yeah. <laughs> there are there are outliers to every to every situation. Like yeah. Katie knows she's met my parents. They're uh, yeah. <laughs> they're Love very liberal parents. people. Love your parents. Um, my brain totally just blanked. But it, it's <laughs> very important that um we're drawing the line. You know, because I think like it's important to expose yourself to things that are uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a difference between exposing yourself to things that are uncomfortable and exposing yourself to things that are toxic and things yeah. that are damaging. Mm-hmm. Like for for me, that episode of 13 Reasons Why was damaging. Yeah. You know, yeah. it could create copycats. That's not what yeah. you want. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, Whereas there are other parts of that show, which I think, you know, we're going in the right direction in terms yeah. of like uncomfortability. Sure. I think they just did. I mean, this this isn't a review on 13 Reasons Why, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, I think that um, they they should have. It was a little it was just all around. It was too graphic. And yeah. It was too. For example, too real. speaking of 13, there's a movie called 13 that's directed by Catherine Hardwick, which is about mm-hmm. like 13 year old girls who are incredibly troubled. I hate the word troubled, but it gets the point across. Um, mm-hmm. And it was like a teen movie that was meant for teens and their moms to watch together. So that parents were aware, this is what it's actually like to be a teenager right now. You know, you always need to ask questions to learn new things. You know, Mm -hmm. I just had a conversation with my my mom the other day about doing my taxes. You know, like, I don't know how to do taxes, but someday I'm going to need to know. You know, (laughs) like, I'm going to need to know what it's like to have a mortgage on a house or what's a good amount of interest that I should be paying on certain things. Yeah. You know, what, what, how, like what kind of, how to have a good, how should score. I repay? Yeah. How yeah. should I repay my loans? You know, like there are all these different conversations that I don't know the answer to um, because I'm 23 years old and I, I've just never come across it before ever in my life. Mm-hmm. Similarly, there are things going on, you know, specifically um, with like, you know, the LGBTQ um, community and, you know, all other underprivileged and, um, underrepresented, you know, minority groups Mm -hmm. that, um, 
there's a lot going on. And if you don't understand something in the same way that I don't understand how to do my taxes, you know, you ask questions and you hope that the people on the other end aren't going to judge you for that. Um, you know, and you hope that those people aren't going to be quote unquote sensitive to the fact that you don't know something. I, I mean, I, I agree. I feel like sensitivity is a really difficult thing because that word has kind of in the I same think it way can that, be weaponized. Yeah. In the yeah. same way that people look at like uh, the word privilege, mm-hmm. you know, some that can be like a word that really doesn't sit well with people despite what it really means. Um, you know, and I think this, that's the same thing with sensitivity, you know, like mm-hmm. it kind of has this ulterior meaning, you yeah. know, of Especially like. Especially because it was used as an insult for so long, yeah, particularly exactly. against people who didn't fall into the strict gender norms. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, there are some, there are some things that you should get sensitive about. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like there are definitely some things that are important to be sensitive about. And there are some things that are going to be personally sensitive, you know, and might maybe not generally across the board, but like, regardless, aren't we as a whole human species supposed to like help each other? Yeah. <laughs> like, why would we do what? Like, I don't understand. I don't really get what the big deal is. Um, but that's also, you know, from my own very sheltered point of view. Mm-hmm. So hard I to think say. what this play does well is that it shows that everyone, no matter what side of the political, you know, spectrum they're on, they're all so morally gray. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Everyone in this family is so like in that arguably politics um, don't shouldn't determine like your your worth or good as a human being. Yeah, because I, I think like at the beginning of this, you know, you're inclined to root for Brooke. Yeah. And you're inclined to see her side. And by the end of it, like I, by the end of it, I didn't like Brooke. <laughs> no, I, I don't like I Brooke agree. at all. Um, I think the only person that I could say I had a positive opinion of was Trip. Yeah. Yeah. But I, think, I think that's the whole point. Yeah. I think the, but I think it's because he is, he's that person at the family gathering who's just trying to keep the peace. And we've yeah. all been that person at one point. But also it's so sad that Trip is the only one you don't really learn much of his life about. Yeah. You know, it makes you wonder, like, if I were Trip, um, how I would feel that, like, nobody really cared what was going on with me. Mm-hmm. You know, like, nobody in the family says anything to him about, like, how things are going or what's going yeah. on in his life. Like, He's besides there to the be little, a buffer. Right. Like, besides the few conversations they have about this TV show that he's producing – um, like other than that, they don't really talk to him about anything. And if I showed up to family gatherings and all I did was like, you know, mediate, hold, like mediate and hold the peace and nobody asked about me, like, I'm, I'm grateful that that has never and will never happen <laughs> for my family. But, um, you know, like I, I can't imagine what that must be like. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I also think Silda is a wildly interesting character. I also, mm-hmm. the names in this just, like, make me happy. Yeah. Because yeah. they all, like, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but they all have, like, Lyman literally is lie man. man. Like, a man yeah. who lies. Right. Lying man. And, like, Polly made me immediately think of, like, Polly Pockets mm. and how plastic 
And mm, like, interesting. Like the blonde plastic, like trying to fit into a mold, a literal mold. Because um, one ca- conversation that- It made me that, think of a, a parrot. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. See, like all of that- like, It made me think of like, Polly want a cracker. Polly you know. want a cracker. Yeah. And like, I, I think there's like something- the, Like the bird on his shoulder. Yes. Yeah. And I think like- so Silda and Polly have this very interesting conversation where Silda's like, you've denied the fact that you're a Jewish woman. Like you're you're fitting mm-hmm. into their mold. And it's it's like the name Polly is just so like <laughs> suburban white that you wouldn't even associate, you know, her with, you know, her background that Silda no, not is at talking all. about. No, exactly. Um, and like trip literally like tripping over the conversation. Yeah, like, yeah. Constantly, you're right. Like not walking straight. Like all of their names are so interesting. I it love is. It. That is really interesting. I didn't even realize that. Um so I d- I have a couple of other things. I mean, ideas on um on on just Brooke as a or I'm sorry, as Polly as a mother <laughs> at all. Uh, We've had so many about fun your... mother characters in the last we couple have. episodes. They're one of my favorite types of characters to read. Mm-hmm. I think that See, they're so fascinating. Polly is even more fascinating to me than Amanda, I think, because we know that she lost a child. Yeah. And that's something I've never experienced. That's something I can hardly imagine. I know. Um. Like, there's something just so tragic about losing a child. Um, it's like your worst fear. Yeah, yeah. You know, because it, it's it's one of those things that really seems unimaginable. Like, yeah. you know, she she is so flawed, and mm-hmm. she is so stuck in that in that mindset of like. But it's fine, but it's fine, but it's fine. You just need to get over your sensitivity, et cetera. And, like, I I wonder how much of that is a coping mechanism. Because she's like, I just can't bear to lose another kid. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think that, I yeah, the thing about her relationship that I find really difficult is that it's very clear that all of her actions are coming from a place of love. And you know that as the reader, um, but God as the character of Brooke, mm-hmm. I mean, to to be in a situation where somebody's critiquing your every move and you feel like you're walking on eggshells, like regardless of what her intentions are, it's toxic. Yeah, you know, and like regardless of if uh, if you know Polly is doing it because she wants the best for her kid or she doesn't want to lose another kid like whatever her intentions are that's not the way that it's coming across yeah. and the way that it comes across is very very negative and awful and bad for all parties involved mm-hmm. and um and i and think she just, views Brooke as like a young silda and i think that's yeah. where a lot of the animosity comes from yeah and silda's her sister mm-hmm. um her sister who's been a uh an alcoholic and just lost five years of sobriety. So, I mean, I think that, you know, Polly's life is kind of plagued with loss and responsibility. And I think Brooke is kind of the, she's just the oddball out. She's the one that nobody in the family, like knows what's going to happen with her like ever. Um, 
And that's, that's terrifying. I think from a mother's point of view. Um, but I, I just don't, I, it's interesting that she was written the way that she was because I just can't, uh, I can't find a lot of love for her. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I know, I think, I don't know if that is, you know, Bates trying to put us in a, a situation where it makes you feel like you are Brooke. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like if you're reading it with Brooke's kind of point of view or lens over it all. Um, but that's certainly, certainly the way that I read it. Um, which makes me find, you know, it's very difficult for me to read Polly's actions and be okay with them. Yeah. I think I have more sympathy for Lyman, which is odd. Agreed. Because I, like, on paper, I wouldn't like Lyman very much. <laughs> but I... <sighs> he definitely, like... I don't even know why. That's the weird part. I don't know why. I think it's just he doesn't have the same outward, like, animosity that Polly does. Yeah, I think he's just more... Um, and well, I also think for the majority of the play, he's not really against the book that that she writes. So, yeah, he's so just for like, let me die first. <laughs> so, essentially, for those of you listening, the book that was written is that Brooke Brooke wrote a book. <laughs> um, it's a tongue twister about the the son that died, and it's kind of like a memoir about their you know dead son's life and the way that the whole family you know unit kind of operated. Mm-hmm. In terms of how their parents treated their kids and, you know, how the the kids were in relation to each other. And um, and so she brings this book back and pretty much says, like, you have, you know, like three or four days to um, to tell me if you want anything changed in here and give me your blessing because then I'm going to, like, publish the book, basically. Hey everyone, we're back. We had some technical difficulties, but we are we are back and ready to hop into the design slash dreamcast portion of today's podcast. Very so. good. Very good stuff. <laughs> um so who what would how would you like to see this show done? Honestly, I would love there's this there's this like old uh, mansion museum in my hometown that I would love to like just have people come in and like see this this family interact in a real house mm-hmm. um just because like it's an always on, really cool to see a real house set but I yeah, think I there's say an on set an yeah. on set uh production yeah I would love it um because then I think like you get the whole idea of like these people are really just stuck in a house together on Christmas and they have to they have to acknowledge what's happening, you know. Um, yeah, absolutely. I feel like it lends itself to like the idea of them being trapped in this space, mm-hmm. you know, metaphorically. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they can leave whenever they want, but <laughs> like th- this idea of like feeling like you have a duty to mm-hmm. your family. Sure. Uh, what do you think? What would you do? Um. I honestly, I didn't have many like super duper creative ideas for this one um, because I just don't feel like I know I say it a lot. I don't feel like it's like we're like worthy of it. 
Um, I just mm-hmm. don't feel like it needs. Uh, that's the wrong way to put it. Like I don't feel like it needs it. Um, it doesn't need a huge set design or anything. Yeah, like, like it doesn't. It just doesn't need a lot. Um, and honestly, the first thing I think of when I read this play was Courage the Cowardly Dog. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that TV show, but um, vaguely, like, yeah, it was like a. I want to say it was like Cartoon Network, and it was um, it was like a dog who lived on this. They the family lived in like the desert. And there was like windmills outside of where they lived. And it was like a really scary, spooky little cartoon. Um, terrifying. It gave me like nightmares because mm-hmm. there was like an old lady sitting in a rocking chair and you would hear like nothing besides the sound of like her chair rocking back and forth. Oh, I hate that. Like it, was like, <laughs> it was like so, 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 so creepy. Um, but because the show also happens in the desert, that's like the first thing I think of. So I kind of want to see a set that's built out of like untinted wood um, or lightly tinted wood, almost in like a log cabin slash scaffolding sort of crossover, mm. you know, um, where okay. like you don't really have like like walls necessarily, um, yeah. but it, there's not too much going on that like you can't understand where they are. Um, just sort of in like a house that, you know, looks old, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'd also love to see this at a country club. Yeah, that would be fun. Because um, I think that would get the like Palm Springs. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, costumes for the, you know, parents are expensive. Um, you know, very rich in terms of. Uh, like Brooks Brothers. And yeah. Crap yeah, stuff. But, but for the kids, I think pretty normal, average average mm-hmm. looking stuff. Um, I don't really want much lighting and maybe have some music that has like a bit of an ed- edge to it, but not like rock, just like a bit louder, maybe some like louder alternative kind of music mm. um, for, you know, like lobby waiting area. But yeah, like most of it is pretty, pretty standard, you know, in terms of how I'd want to see it. Mm hmm. There are some really good clips of the off-Broadway production on YouTube. Um, And it's so funny because Trip is literally just wearing, like, cargo pants and a blue shirt. And I'm like, why is that perfect? Yeah, why does that just feel exactly Not even cargo pants, cargo shorts. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Like, it's just so... I don't know who did the costumes for it, but bravo, because that's so spot on for how a man like Trip would dress. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, speaking of Trip, uh, what... Who is playing Trip in your Dreamcast? Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> so I there are there are three that I think would do really well. But wow, I'll okay. say my top choice. I love this character. I like I just I I don't know why. I just love him so much. And so my first choice, like top choice, is Evan Peters. Oh, very good. Um, very good. It just feels right, especially yeah, after his work in WandaVision. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then my second choice is Daniel Radcliffe. Great, great. Love it. Love it. And my third choice is Elijah Wood. <laughs> oh, yes. I love Elijah Jeez, Wood. Daniel Radcliffe so and Elijah Wood. You know me. I literally I watched a um Zoom Lord of the Rings um reunion the other day and I was crying by the end of it. I was so happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Um I love Elijah Wood and I love Daniel Radcliffe. And I think they would both do very good. And they're kind of the perfect age for it. Like I feel like Yeah, they are. This character needs to be mid thirties um, mm-hmm. to really sing, mm-hmm. and then for my Brooke, I they said they wanted like a decade of difference between the two of them. Uh-huh. 
So I'm thinking Kate Winslet. Ooh, stop it. I I would you know love how I to feel see about that. Kate Winslet. I love her. I would love to see that. Also, um, Kira Knightley. <gasps> if you're going, if you're I was going thinking Natalie Portman too. Yeah, Natalie Portman. Like, oh my god! But you know arguably how I feel about maybe Kate Mila Kunis. Ooh, oh, that would be good. Now we're just tossing around. Now names, we're just tossing but... around. But yeah, my top choice is Kate Winslet, especially because like Kate Winslet yeah. and Evan Peters like could totally yeah. pass. As oh siblings. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You're really gonna like my Polly. Oh, let's hear it, Catherine O'Hara. <gasps> oh my gosh. Yep. Oh, I would love to see that. I would love to see that. Yeah, you you in general went like older with your cast than I had with mine. Yeah. Which makes sense because they um you know, like the parents talk about like when they're going to die and stuff. So, I mean, mm-hmm. they're not like old old old, but they're definitely yeah. older than mine. Um but I, I like love that. I love 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 that. <laughs> That's a great choice. And then for Lyman J.K. Simmons. I don't know J.K. Simmons. You totally do. He um he was the teacher in Whiplash. He was the newspaper guy in the Spider-Man series. He was in this movie about Binghamton that you still have to watch with me. Um, well, I've seen. I saw all the Spider-Man movies. Okay, he was J. Jonah Jane or J. Jonah Jameson. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah he's been in everything. I just, looked, I just looked him up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's in a ton. Yeah, he's that's a great choice. Everything. He's got the right like demeanor for that character. Like I can see him working for the GOP. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, and then for Silda, Alice and Janney. Oh yes. I love her. Man, that's a great, that's a great uh, cast that you've got. Thank you. <laughs> you have like a really solid cast. Like I would go see that. Like, I, today. producers, hey, like give me some <laughs> money. Let's make this happen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just so I can meet Evan Peters. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's the real and reason. And Kate Winslet, yeah. Um, I have, let's see who, who I've got here. Yeah, so in general, my whole cast is younger than yours. Okay. Um, I'm putting Trip at like 18. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah, 18 to 20 in this. And I'm putting Brooke in like, you know, maybe around 30. Okay. Um, and then parents in like their mid-50s kind of. So gotcha. um, for Brooke, I have Allie Stroker. <gasps> I love Allie Stroker. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. I feel like she would kick ass in that role. Yeah. Oh, I think she'd kick ass. Um, for Trip, I have Finn Wolfhard. <gasps> oh Trip. my God. Yeah, I can like, also see um the kid. He was just in um Luca and he played he played what's his face in um it. Oh my gosh, what is his name? He's really good. I'll send know. it to you. I'll remember. Okay. Um, yeah, Finn Wolfhard would be great. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that would be an interesting an interesting one. Um, for Polly, I have Demi Moore. I love Demi yeah. Moore. Yeah, I love Demi Moore. I, I'd be curious to see her She's try so to take on a role like too. this. She's so soft-spoken, too. That would be interesting. I know. Like, I, I'm interested. I think it's because I want to see her do something more, something yeah. different. Um, so I... I would lo- I'd just be curious to see what how like what she could bring to this role. Yeah. Um and last but not least this is the o- this is the one I'm like the most passionate about but I also have another one that I'm really passionate about so 
Um, but for Lyman, I have Kiefer Sunderland. Do I know Kiefer Sunderland? Kiefer Sunderland. Definitely look him up. He was in, did you ever watch, did you watch Designated Survivor? No. Um, he's in Designated Survivor. He's in, um, I'm looking uh, at, oh my God, yes. Uh, yes. Uh, what's the movie I'm thinking of? He's in, um, 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 uh, I'm looking at his filmography. Uh, the right Lost now. Boys. Yep, he was in The Lost Boys. He was in 24. He was um, Jack Bauer. <gasps> okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cool, yeah, yeah, cool, cool. yeah. Yeah, yes. he does a lot of action movies, um, but he gives me big, like, Liam Neeson energy, which mm. I really like. And then the other one, and this is going off of, like, your older cast of somebody who I'd love to see play this role is Kirkwood Smith. <laughs> Who I is uh, that one up too. Kirkwood Smith is Red Foreman in that 70s show. <gasps> He's the father in that 70s show. Oh my God, that's so good. He, oh, I feel like yes. he would be okay. so good. So he also plays a lot of villains. Like I think scary he guys does. do a good job, would do a good he, job with, with like Lyman's character. Yeah, he, I'll never like... He's one of those actors that I love to hate because him in Dead Poet Society, mm-hmm. I despise yeah. him. But I, there is something, the minute that I dislike an actor doing work, I like immediately am filled with like admiration for them and yeah. admiration because I'm like, you, you have made me successfully hate you. And yeah. that is a lot of, that is hard work as an actor what to I like find make, a, make people like really dislike you. Yeah. What I find even more impressive is people like Stanley Tucci who have been able yeah. to make me hate them with my entire being, but them. also love them. And love I'm them. I'm like, how did you, how? Same with, um, what's his name? Ian McKellen. Oh my God. I love Ian McKellen. Like, like love him and hate him and yeah. stuff, you know? In the Da Vinci Code. In the Da Vinci Code. Oh my God. I loved him in the Da Vinci Code. I loved him and hated him in that movie. Uh, yeah, like, exactly. I felt both. Exactly, because he just flips on you. He pulls yeah. you what full one eighty. Sorry, in that spoiler movie. alert for Da Vinci Code, but yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think both of our casts are pretty killer, honestly. Yeah. Well, with that, do you have any any calls to action for this play? I, I do. I Let's do. Hear it. Mine is to be more understanding with the generation above me. Um, That's a great one. Because I think so much of this came from people not being honest with each other. And the entire conflict of this story was people being afraid of their own family. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, (laughs) there's like that whole thing of like, men would rather blah, 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 instead of going to therapy. Like, Brooke would rather write a book about her trauma than, like, talk to her family about it. Yeah. And I think another thing, too, like, is to just be really respectful of people's personal private lives. Yeah. Because we live in the age of social media and it's so easy to look up a celebrity and know every person they've ever dated or, you know... It's it's very toxic, and I find myself, you know, like, looking something up, and I'm like, why do I care? Yeah. I don't know these right. people. Like, right. why do I care so much about who cheated on who or— I know. You know, like, why? Um, so I think, like, 
I'm going to try to be more aware of just being like, that's blah, blah, blah's personal life. And it's none of my business. Oh, that's very, that's a great one. Yeah. I like that because I feel like we, especially when it comes to like the media and celebrities in the media, we, um, we just assume that everything that they've ever done is now public knowledge or should be public knowledge. And like, uh, you know, I try to put myself in their shoes and I would absolutely hate that. You know, if somebody like knew everything about me, um, for like when, when I didn't even willingly or voluntarily put that information out for them. Yeah. It's really scary. Like it, like it's this complicated balance. Cause I've been watching a lot of hot ones recently. Okay. And Sean Evans is like one of the best interviewers alive today. And, um, you know, he really like, I don't know how he gets some of the information he gets, but it's like the celebrities always really enjoy his questions because he's so well researched and he right. he knows like the interesting things to ask but by the same token i'm like he has to know so much about their lives like is is that ever off putting right i know it would be for me but that's just i mean i feel like it, i guess it it's dependent on the person you know and dependent yeah. on what you if you are okay with people knowing that information about you or if you are not you know right and like that's the it all it all goes back to twitter i i swear because like literally when i think of the last two this things is a that twitter hate post so violent well the, the things that have been like so like violently popular on twitter it was the taiko itt three something and mm-hmm. like tom holland and zendaya yeah uh-huh and i like I worry about them because they're like our age, like not much older than us. And I, know. I think and Zendaya is actually it. like our age. Yeah, exactly. And I think Tom Holland is like maybe a year older than us. I think. Yeah, he's like 25 or something. And um, I like, I'm like, they're still so young. Like just right. give them space. And we've seen everything that happens from giving attention to uh, like kids or Yeah, or just like a Britney adults. and Justin Timberlake. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. And the things like... You know, even people like uh, Lindsay Lohan, who are still, who are like still fighting. um, And Demi Lovato. And yeah, and uh, and Britney Spears. Yeah. You know, like these people who are still fighting to like have a normal life that has been absolutely Megan Fox. We owe such an apology to Megan Fox. I know, we really do. Like Britney Murphy, we owe an apology to Britney Murphy. Britney Murphy. Oh. RIP. I just, yeah, honestly, we, we really just, it's amazing how if you just stay out of people's lives, like better things happen Yeah. <laughs> instead of just, you know, all these people whose lives have really been turned upside down because of what being famous and public knowledge has done to them, you yeah. know? Well, even like people, like people should feel guilty about the Chadwick Boseman thing because people were yeah. so awful to him about his weight. Yep. And people were so awful to Brendan Fraser about his weight. And yep. then we find out that Chadwick Boseman was, you know, struggling through cancer. We right. found out that um, Brendan Fraser had literally been assaulted. Yep. And had, like, lost everything. And people are just, like, going and almost, on and on about how they look. It and, makes and, me angry. And recently, especially on Twitter, um, one of the things that I've been seeing a lot of is, like, it almost feels like as soon as people like somebody too much— Mm-hmm. They like will find something to dislike. Yeah, like Lynn and like, Miranda. Right. And they'll like find something to like be angry at when somebody gets like too famous or like too popular. Yeah. Um, 
in in the media even if they've done like nothing wrong you know like we gotta take them down a peg right and that's like very frustrating you know if you've got like whoever it might be who's like a good person you know and you're just kind of like you know like I see a lot of hate for Demi Lovato on mm-hmm. there and you know they're they're just trying their best you know well like the, I like, think they're about really that Anne just Hathaway thing that happened when she won an Oscar and people were just like I hate Anne Hathaway and I'm like right I I jumped on that train too like I was part of the problem right right and we literally hated her because she was what too nice right <laughs> like that was the whole and right. like people jumping on the hate train for Kristen Stewart when it's like mm-hmm. She's an introvert. She doesn't like to do interviews. Right, right, You know, like, that's not her fault. (laughs) Right, and, you know, like, another person we owe an apology to, Johnny Depp. (laughs) Somebody who they, like, tore apart, and then everybody was like, just kidding. You know, like, okay. You know, just, yeah, it's crazy. Anyway. (laughs) Um, I have one call to action, and it is, it's kind of a... contradictory in a way but um my first my first kind of part of this is to not be afraid to get out of a bad situation if um you are not being treated well so if either your biological family or your chosen family are creating more harm than doing good um you shouldn't feel guilty to have to leave that behind if that's what's best for you um But on the opposite end of that spectrum, your family, whether it be biological or chosen, is is important. And it's it's um, important to have that base of people who really care about you and care about your well-being. Um, So be kind to them and understand that you don't know everything going on in their lives and they don't know everything going on in your lives, uh, your life. And and you shouldn't have to. they shouldn't be entitled to know everything and nor should you, um, you know, so, so just treat them kindly, treat them with respect, treat them with love, um, and continue to spread that kind of wherever you go. Um, but like I said, on the opposite, don't be afraid to get out if it's not doing you any good. Mm -hmm. So that's my call to action. That's really solid. Um, and with that, we've concluded, we've reached the end of our discussion on other desert cities, or as Julia said in the pre-show, other des- uh, dessert cities. Other dessert cities. Which I frankly <laughs> want to go to. <laughs> I am so hungry right now. I <laughs> might just go eat ice cream at what time uh, is it? It's not. It's, it's 10 in the 10 morning. 10.30 in the morning. I, <laughs> I should eat something real first. Thank you for joining us for this week's Playdate. You can follow us on Instagram at playdate.podcast for updates, giveaways, and more fun stuff. Our cover art was designed by Levi Denton Hughes. Our sound engineer is Aaron Fern. Our PR manager is Josh Miller. And our theme music was composed and recorded by Mickey Wadsworth. I'm Kate. And I'm Julia. Keep playing.